Good morning. Your Royal Highnesses, Highnesses, Excellencies, Distinguished Guests, and Colleagues. My name is Mike Ryan. I represent the U.S. Saudi Arabian Business Council as a business strategy advisor. The Middle East holds a special place for my family and I. My grandfather was a DC-3 driver delivering oil field service equipment to the Eastern Province. My father worked with Al Jamey as the GM representative over there. And my mother, she was, she was the personal aide for Honorable Ambassador Ray Mavis when he was the ambassador over there. Now on an interesting note, 20 years ago this year we found out my mom organized the first female auto show in the Eastern Province we, where they had 32 GM cars, including a Corvette, and it was well hosted by 600 Saudi women. Wow. Exactly. She was definitely ahead of her time. <laughs> <laughs> and recently I came back from the Middle East on 18 months tour managing the Riyadh office. Now the United States and the Middle East have a special relationship with many American companies such as Raytheon, which has a relationship with Saudi Arabia over the past 50 years. General Electric, which has a $1.2 billion investment in the region, has been partnering with the Middle East for 80 years. Since 2010, the Middle East has been one of the largest export markets for the United States, with an annual growth of 9.2%, which is three times more than the annual trade growth over that same period. Last year, the Middle East accounted for $51 billion in U.S. exports, and five of those states, North Carolina, Washington, Florida, New Jersey, and Texas, accounted for $22 billion of that. Now, with the representatives up here, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Oman, respectively, accounted for about $42 billion, with Saudi Arabia at $18 billion, the UAE at $22 billion, and Oman bordering on $2 billion. Now, I have to say thank you to Mr. Chosky for helping support the American business community in, Saudi, in the Middle East because as we found out, a, a metric is $1 billion equals 5,000 jobs created here and 30,000 jo 30, secondary jobs created in the United States as well. So Mr. Mr. Chosky, thank you for your support. Our goal this morning is to have a lively discussion to keep the conversation moving and to emerge at the end of this 90 minutes with a deeper understanding of the business, investment, and HR dynamic relationship with the United States and the Arab world. Now, please allow me to introduce the guest speakers. We have Ms. Hara Saud al-Wahhabi, is that correct? <laughs> she is the commercial attache at the Embassy of Oman and was former director at ITRA. We have Mr. Kush Chosky. He is the senior vice president for the Middle East and Turkey at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the acting president for the U.S. India Business Council. We also have Mr. Ken Close, who's the CEO and founder of the Quincy Group. And next to me is Ms. Nala, Nahla Al-Jaber. She is the director at the Center for Career Development at the Saudi Arabian Cultural Mission. So please welcome our guests, and we'll start with Mr. Kushtowski. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Mike, for those kind words and uh, generous introduction. Uh, also want to recognize Dr. John Ducanthony for this invitation and opportunity to participate and congratulations on the 26th Annual Policymakers Conference. This is an annual institution. Uh, Dr. Duke, uh, John Duke Anthony in, in itself is an institution that has supported 
the bilateral, uh, the relationship between the United States and the region as a whole, but also the bilateral relationship with so many of our important partners in the region for many years, and we thank you and commend you for everything you've done. My name is Kush Choksi. I'm the Senior Vice President for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, on leading its Middle East and Turkey division. The Chamber is the world's largest business advocacy organization, and we represent the interest through our federation of state and local chambers of about 3 million American companies throughout our country. While most of our work is domestic, uh, we are also the largest international group in Washington and have a global presence. I oversee all aspects of our uh, engagement, uh, and we have several key markets in the region. Uh, be they Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, Egypt, Oman, Bahrain, Iraq, uh, Turkey, and others. Uh, in my initial comments, I want to focus primarily on the business and environment and investment components. I want to avoid generalizations because uh, the, each country in the region is unique. Uh, but what I'd like to do is to draw upon Saudi Arabia and Egypt in particular uh, because they're very large economies and very diverse economies and reflect upon those two countries and then draw some general uh, generalizations based upon that. First, um, I do want to mention four trends that I believe impact the entire region. And these are beyond the conflicts and security challenges that we're all too familiar with. The youth bulge. All across the region, we see large youth populations. They need education and then jobs. And we see governments responding with local, local workforce requirements, which is certainly a logical progression given that the youth bulb. It does come with certain challenges that localization brings. And we can get into some of that in, in the panel, um, but that is a noteworthy trend. It's a trend even here domestically, but youth bulb and localization uh, requirements, uh, because of a need to fill employment gaps is certainly a driver and a factor in the region. Energy and oil prices, with many economies so reliant in the region in spite of very robust and successful diversification plans, uh, many governments are faced with the reality of lower oil prices for foreseeable future. Certainly better this year than it was last year, but that is a factor that either directly or indirectly impacts the economies in the region. We also see the economies in the region uh, with robust vision plans. In many ways, this ties closely to my prior point. All across the region, we see governments with plans to diversify their economies. A good example of this is Saudi Arabia and the Vision 2030 that's been promulgated by His Royal Highness the Crown Prince. Decentralization of government affairs is a factor that we see impacting American companies. And we do witness multinationals significantly expanding their capacities in the region as a response to a requirement to understand each market better, the demands of each market, and responding to localization. And that's a trend that impacts American business. It's an in quote-unquote internal trend, but it's an important factor as a driver of American uh, investment and engagement on the commercial side in the region. Let's turn for a minute briefly to Saudi Arabia. 
The kingdom is pursuing a major economic transformation under the leadership of uh, His Majesty and also the Crown Prince. And Vision 2030 and its correspondent national transformation program. This represents an incredible opportunity for increased collaboration and partnership between the United States and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Just as the United States and the Kingdom have historical relationships in the energy and defense sectors, we believe that the future relationship provides exciting opportunities for cooperation in areas focused on innovation like life sciences, information and data technology, and renewables. Uh, for example, the other day talking to a company, one of the uh, cables that runs underseas connecting the continents of the world for the transfer of data and the ability for the internet that we all know today to function has ports that uh, um, land into the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. A humongous opportunity there in itself. There are several factors that are causing um, the enhanced investment into the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So for example, while Saudi Arabia is one of the largest spenders on medication from innovative biopharmaceutical sector to very, very small fraction, uh, to, to a number of other uh, pharma areas, it does have uh, continual issues that we seek to work with in terms of being able to expand and attract clinical trials. Uh, the result of that is the transfer of technology and high value added. And that we also see replicated in countries like Egypt and also in the smaller markets of the region, be they the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, uh, increasingly as the security situation stabilizes in Iraq as well. Uh, as you look across the region, you see American companies with newer technologies Uber and its relationship with uh, Saudi Arabia in terms of an inward investment into Uber, but also Uber in terms of its presence throughout the uh, region, the job opportunities that it provides in the region, and also you see them opening a major center in countries to do back office operations like Egypt. So we believe that you are seeing innovations in the United States move into the region, the region being much more acceptable, accommodative, and embrace the types of technologies that provide jobs. I'd also like to share here something that I don't think that has been addressed. We at the US Chamber see a unique opportunity and a small window for bilateral trade agreements, including the possibility of bilateral free trade agreements between the United States and many of the large markets in the region, and I would advocate both Saudi Arabia and Egypt are good examples of large markets that could correspondingly have and draw upon an opportunity for bilateral trade agreements with the United States. The administration, we believe, is looking at bilateral trade agreements, and I think that the Middle East, once again, provides an opportunity. And why I say once again is if you look historically, the Middle East is probably the region with the most number of free trade agreements. I think we have five free trade agreements with countries in the Middle East. So I'd like to propose, as we look to the future of this bilateral uh, relationship, um, of the multilateral relationship, sorry, with the region, we also tie together and expand upon the successful, very successful for both our country and the countries in the region, uh, trade agreements that we have. 
Um, so with that, I'd like to close my comments and look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Kush. Our next speaker will be Ms. Hara Saud Al-Wahhabi from the Embassy of Oman. Assalamu alaikum. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. Dr. Anthony, thank you for, uh, for the inviting the Embassy of Oman to speak today. And thank you, Mike Ryan, for the kind introduction. And I would like also to thank the Council for putting all this together. The first part of my talk today is about Oman-US Free Trade Agreement. The second part will focus on investment in Oman. The Sultanate of Oman and the United States share a strong bilateral relationship based on a common interest and joint commitment to the security, stability, and prosperity of the region. The relations between the two countries started in 1833 with a treaty of friendship and navigation, which was the first bilateral occurred between the US and Arab Gulf state. This agreement replaced in 1958 by the Treaty of Amity and Commerce. Then the two countries established diplomatic relations in 1972. The most significant milestone in Oman-US relations was the Oman-US Free Trade Agreement, which was signed in 2006 and entered into force on January 2009. Oman and the United States also signed the Science and Technology Cooperation Agreement in 2016, which will provide a platform for increased cooperation in these areas as Oman is moving toward the knowledge-based economy. Oman actually is good free, uh, is good free trade partner because of uh, three main reasons. The first reason, Oman has an open economy, and the article number 11 of the Oman Basic Law says the basis of national economy is justice and the principles of free economy. The second reason is political stability and respect for the rule of law. With this valued principle, Investors are protected and intellectual and property rights are secured in Oman. And this provides the foundation for both economic freedom and the efficient operation of markets. The reason number three is compliance with international agreements. And Oman has trade relations with more than 140 countries around the world, which allows which allowing easy access to almost all market in the world. The free trade agreement is crafted to eliminate tariffs and barriers and expand bilateral trade. There are several positive long-term effects that can result from the FTA. Between the two countries, they include increased efficiency of domestic production, as producers face new competition with the removal of tariff barriers. Economies of scale and consequent redu reduction in cost and prices as domestic, 
producers enjoy an expanded market for their goods. Increased foreign investment from outside the FTA area as firms seek to locate operations within the borders of the FTA to take advantage of its liberalized access to a major new market. The Oman US FTA has opened up new opportunities and expansion for US business through bilateral trade and new investment. Since the implementation of the FTA, Omani exports to the US have increased by 60% and US exports to Oman increased by over 26%. More than 30 US companies have registered in Oman since 2009, accounting for nearly 50% of total registered US companies since 19, uh, 1982. Under the national treatment provision of the U.S.-Oman Free Trade Agreement, American companies may register as an Omani firm with 100% ownership and no requirement for local ownership or partner or even minimum capital. In summary, advantages of investing in Oman include stable macroeconomic situation, Number two, business-friendly environment, stable, secure nation in strategic region. Number four, considerable investment in first world infrastructure. Number five, educated and le uh, largely bilingual workforce. Number six, strategic geographic location outside, outside the Strait of Hermes and at the crossroad of the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. The Oman-US FTA has been a win-win for bilateral trade, creating new economic opportunities for both of our countries, as more and more Omanis and US companies continue to leverage and enjoy the benefits of the FTA. And it is our hope that Oman-U.S. relations continue to grow and expand in the coming years. Now, I will move to the second part of my talk, investment in Oman. As I mentioned earlier, Oman offers stability, security, a friendly investment climate, respect for free markets, property rights, and rule of law, access to capital, good health care, and schools easy access to global markets through a modern infrastructure network, and a commitment to intellectual property rights enforcement. As the oil prices declined, the ninth five-year plan for the Sultanate, which is start 2016 till 2020, which is the last of the series of five-year plan for the Vision 2020, aims to cut non-core expenditure for investment spending on selected key programs and projects. Private sector role is considered to be backbone of the plan with emphasis being put on public-private partnerships. The plan stresses the importance of economic diversification and the need to accelerate the economic growth of the Sultanate as well as the necessity to shift from oil and gas economy to diversified, vibrant economy based on many sectors, 
A number of promising sectors were identified in the plan as focus sector to foster economic diversification. These sectors, manufacturing, transport and logistics, tourism, fisheries, and finally, mining. Uh, I think I will stop here. Yeah. Okay, right. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Hara. Excellent information. Um, just for the remaining two speakers, to know we're going to try and keep it to five to seven minutes because of time constraints. Uh, Ms. Nala Al-Jaber, uh, who is the director for the Center of Career Development at the Saudi Arabian Culture Mission. Will you please approach the podium. Assalamu alaikum. I'm going to start with a simple question. When was the last time, have you visited a college campus in the last couple of weeks? Anybody? Just a few? <laughs> well, in case you do visit one, um, don't be surprised to see a Saudi student at, on that campus. Um, currently, we have over 65,000 students attending um, college and universities in the United States. And the reason for this high number is uh, mainly due to the King Abdullah Scholarship Abroad Program that was started in 2005 um, for the purpose, um, one, the, for students to gain um, uh, education outside the kingdom, and number two, for the cultural exchange. Um, <clears throat> when we look at the numbers, um, you will, um, we have 25% uh, of those students who are uh, attending the universities are Saudi women. Um, if we break it down further, um, you will note, we will note that um, in the master's program, uh, we have 46% or 47% of the students are females. And in the PhD program, we have about 64% of the students. Um, as the number increased, um, we noticed that a lot of the students and uh, recent graduates were um, approaching um, Saudi offices, the embassies, the cultural missions, the uh, other missions, uh, looking for um, assistance in internship and um, training programs. At the same time, uh, same time, the embassy was being approached by companies looking for um, Saudis to train for possible positions in Saudi Arabia. So the um, that time, the Minister of Education. The ambassador, Saudi ambassador to the U.S. and the cultural attaché decided to create uh, an entity to provide a platform for the um, students to interact with um, or to connect them with companies. So give, uh, with that in, uh, in mind, uh, the Center for Career Development was created to assist the students in finding um, uh, to assist the students in broadening their skill sets and uh, deepening their professional experience by connecting them with potential internship and training opportunities in the U.S. Um, and then we expanded it to help them find jobs in the kingdom. Um, <clears throat> And um, why did we think it was important um, to uh, assist the students in finding internships? Because um, we wanted the students to have an opportunity to translate classroom experience into practical experience, classroom learning into practical experience. We also wanted them to um, get exposed to employers before um, uh, uh, doing a final commitment, uh, making a final commitment about their future. 
We also wanted them to um, uh, do internships, uh, especially in the United States, so that they um, get to know what it's like to work for American companies. When Saudi students come to the United States, um, they, um, when they go to uh, the universities, they get the academic experience. When they live uh, in the communities, they get the social experience. By working with companies, they'll get the professional experience so that their um, experience in the United States is complete by having you know, the cultural, the academic, and the professional experience. So we're pushing for internships for our students in the United States. And hopefully, when they, are com when they complete their internships here, they go back home knowing about the American way of doing business, having the experience so they are um, better able to um, enter the Saudi labor market. Um, but our mission is not only to assist um, our students, we're also here to assist companies who are either thinking about work, uh, entering the Saudi market, have entered the Saudi market and need assistance, or have established themselves and they want to expand. We are here to help you um, in um, uh, recruiting talent, Saudi um, uh, uh, students and graduates. Um, it was by... Um, uh, working with us, we can help you look, uh, you know, test our students to make sure that they are perfect fit for you. You know, you get to try them, and before you invest heavily in them, you can know if that's a match or not. So um, there's a good um, uh, opportunity. The other thing we are encouraging also. Um, employers to take on our students is for the cultural exchange. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people don't see us the way we are, but the way um, uh, the media presents us to them. So by taking on our students, you get to see what we're like, who we are, and hopefully um, learn about our culture and the way we do business, and then use that when you conduct business in Saudi Arabia. And then hopefully by knowing us and knowing how we do things, you um, minimize uh, misunderstandings, which can um, lead to a lot of uh, costly, um, uh, you know, it can be very uh, costly. And sometimes you may even lose a, 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 a deal because of this misunderstanding. So hopefully by interacting with our students, you avoid that. Um, but there are also other benefits by taking on our students. Um, uh, you know, we realize that internships do not always lead to uh, jobs, but the benefits will continue on because that intern that you're going to train when you um, work with us and you take on our students is one um, that person can in the future be a network person. He can help you connect with people in Saudi Arabia. That intern can um, uh, provide you can help you navigate the Saudi system legally, financially, commercially. That in turn can in the future maybe be a subcontractor for you. And, don't, and let's not forget that a lot of these interns, uh, those people who study abroad, end up um, holding positions, uh, high-level positions in the government or in the private sector where they have signatory um, authority. So these are, you know, when you take on interns and you train them and you benefit here and you benefit uh, long-term, you know, that investment in our, in, in our youth is not only investment for Saudi youth, but it's investment for your companies because you will continue to gain um, dividends on the, uh, on the investments you made. So what we're doing in our center, we're trying to help you connect, we help you um, um, improve your um, um, uh, benefit, your uh, success in Saudi Arabia by connecting you with the qualified people you need. By the, um, by, uh, we help you by um, connecting you with students that you can train the way you want them to train to acquire your culture, the uh, business culture or company culture the way you want it so that when they go to Saudi Arabia they don't get the diluted version. So we're here to help you. Um, one question that I always get from um, employers and also students is, well, we want to work but 
we don't have the authority or the permission or uh, the legal side. The U.S. government has a nice program called the OPT program and also the CPT, which allows companies to hire students while they're still on their F-1 visa. So you don't need to even sponsor a student. The student comes ready with their sponsorship. You don't have to pay legal costs. You don't have to file long documents. I know you're all familiar with the doc filing U.S. documents. So that's taken out of the equation. It's easy to do, and um, I've prepared a flyer for you that lists, um, uh, you know, this option. And also, um, I've also included a flyer which tells them how we can help you. All our services right now are mostly free of charge. We're here to help you um, meet your staffing needs, while at the same time we're here to help our students get the, um, uh, the um, training that they need. Um, I wanted to extend it, but unfortunately my time is um, shortened, but I'm here to answer any questions during the Q&A and afterwards. And thank you for the time. Thank you, Ms. Al thank you, Ms. Algebra. Our last and final speaker is Mr. Ken Close, the founder and CEO of the Quincy Group. Thanks very much, Mike. Um, I'm just going to speak from the chair so uh, Mike can give me the hook a little faster if he needs to save a little time. Um, I'll start by saying my contribution here is going to be fairly narrow because uh, the focus of my career for the last three decades has been Saudi Arabia, so that's where we operate and that's what we know. Um, and as far as Saudi Arabia is concerned, it's no secret there's uh, changes in the air. Things are changing very rapidly in the business environment and the social environment and the economy is changing quickly. And I'm not just talking about women driving, that's an obvious manifestation of, of the change, but there's a lot more going on. So when you, um, I'm actually going to start by making a few broad generalizations, unlike Kosh, I'm going to risk it, and uh, we'll see where that goes to kind of set the context, and then I'll quickly do a, a delve into a little case study. So the first thing you notice when you get to Saudi Arabia now is that the, there's a whole new generation of Saudi technocrats that are leading the country. They're CEOs of all the top uh, government companies. Their new ministers are very young, and the deputy ministers and lots of people. These are mostly young men still, uh, but women are gaining positions uh, slowly but surely in a variety of places as well. These young men are 40 to 50 years old in their 40s and their 50s, um, and they're extremely capable and well-educated well people, as you might imagine. Those of you who've been to Saudi Arabia know what I'm talking about. Um, the older folks haven't gone away completely. They're still on the boards. They're still watching and, and helping manage from a distance, but these, these young men uh, are in charge now. And that's caused a huge wave of optimism in the economy and in the society. Um, and we'll see where that goes, but it's, it's very positive right now. Um, at the same time, the government is moving to rationalize the economy, and that's a painful process. So change is not easy. It's never easy. In this case, it's difficult because you've got a heavily subsidized economy, and the government's trying to suck out those subsidies and rationalize it. And uh, that can happen, but uh, it's not clear exactly how that's going to go, but it's, it's, uh, it needs to be done. Um, as they say, never, never uh, waste a good crisis. So they're using this particular crunch to rationalize what should have been done probably a long time ago. Um, what else, we, we also tell, the last generaliz generalization I'll make is that the days of hoping that you'll get a big government contract um, and that's how you're going to run your business in Saudi Arabia are largely over. Uh, the government's looking for companies, and in some case governments as well, to partner with them in the localization of uh, production and the delivery of goods and services. Um, that model of exactly how that's going to happen is a little unclear, but it's, they're rapidly trying to develop those, and it's going to be some sort of shared risk and jointly financed uh, business models that are going to drive those new opportunities. Um, so 
by way of example, let's just jump right into a case study. If you look at, we're, we're heavily involved in the freight rail industry right now with a couple of our customers. And uh, that business has grown uh, rapidly in service of one client, the national mining company, Ma'adin. And uh, today, the new the Saudi Arabia in the last few years has laid 2,500 plus kilometers of track. It's mostly going to be passenger, but also there's a fair amount of freight going up and down those lines right now, so it'll be mixed use. Today, as I said, the only customers Ma'adin, they're moving bauxite uh, to aluminum smelters and, and rolling mills in Ras al-Khair. They're also moving phosphate, uh, sulfur, and phosphoric acid to make diammonium phosphate in the same place in Ras al-Khair. Um, the challenge today is that there's a huge amount of freight that should go on those rail lines as well, but that, uh, to take truck traffic off the roads. There's a big push from the Ministry of Transportation and other sectors to move truck tra traffic off the roads. It's highly damaging to the roads. It's highly subsidized. Um, it's very dangerous. Uh, it uses a lot of, uh, of uh, hydrocarbons as well. So what they're doing is they're starting to raise the price of gasoline, obviously. They're going to start uh, levying tolls on trucks, and they're reducing the time that trucks can spend in cities. They can't travel in certain hours. That's going to drive traffic to the rail network. Uh, but this time, and this is, the, this is where it all ties together, the government's not going to buy those freight rail cars. They're going to look to industry to do it in some sort of direct privatization model or some partnership with the National Railroad. So that's what we're telling our clients is you really, if you want to uh, do business in this economy, you're going to have to enter the economy now and take direct risk and, uh, and figure out a way to be successful by operating in the economy, not waiting for a government contract. So I'll just end there quickly, and we can hopefully move into some questions. I didn't have to yank you. Hmm? I didn't have to no, yank you. No, I didn't know. It was pretty good, right? I, I could feel it. <laughs> Get, I was getting ready. So we have one question so far. This could be for the general panel. Investment in emerging markets is usually looked at from the institutions and policies of the recipient country. What can the U.S. do from a policy perspective to improve investment from U.S. companies in the Middle East? And Kush, do you want to take a stab at that? Sure. Uh, so the question, uh, just to repeat it, is what can the U.S. do uh, to uh, enhance U.S. investment in the Middle East? And certainly, uh, let me do a twofold answer to that. What can our business do and what can the government do to facilitate it? In terms of what business can do or organizations like this, is certainly continue to um, promulgate the word that in spite of uh, conflicts in certain parts of the region, that the region as a whole provides significant opportunity for American companies to uh, invest and do business and uh, uh, certainly um, you know, support their business interest whilst uh, supporting uh, the markets that they work in. That's one thing, and the private sector can certainly play a role. The U.S. government can play a role, and the U.S. government can certainly play a role in terms of one of the areas I cited was the trade agreements. Certainly ensuring that there are robust commercial dialogues with the region, and that's the second uh, important role that the United States government can play. I think that both of these roles uh, will, will certainly help uh, promote U.S. investment into the region. I've got one more. Thank you, Kush. Um, Ms. Al-Jaber, we have a question for you. Does the Saudi government support internships outside of business, such as civil society, policy, 
NGOs, journalism, the arts, and et cetera? Um, we try... Um, uh, when we try to assist students, um, we try to knock at everybody's door. We don't um, just look at businesses. We try to uh, NGOs, um, the arts. Um, so if you are planning to hire people or you're looking for interns in whatever fields, we welcome um, a partnership with you. Uh, we have no discrimination against any area. So please feel free to come. Uh, we try to help our students place them. But unfortunately, sometimes we don't have the opportunity or we don't have positions available, but we do provide counseling to our students. We tell them what they can do, how to um, find opportunities. Uh, we, our doors are always avail open. Uh, we also, you know, they can commute with, com communicate with us and um, also business can communicate with us via emails um, at ccd, uh, uh, ccd at sacom.org so we're available for all we don't um we try our best to help everybody dr anthony do you have some questions yes um two for oman and um the same one for saudi arabia one one of those two and then uh and uh, can close as well to comment on them should he care but uh that Three other ones. Uh, the ones about Oman, uh, how can the banking sector in Oman be strengthened uh, to play its appropriate role in helping economic development? Uh, has it uh, been strengthened to your satisfaction? Sufficient? Uh, not really an issue. Uh, and uh, Ms. Al-Jaber, if you'd like to comment on that for Saudi Baby too, and Ken. Uh, how has the um, how has female increasing female labor participation uh, impacted uh, Oman, Saudi Arabia, and um, uh, that perspective that uh, Mr. Close may have, which could be the same or, or different, um, and two others. I'm just giving them to you. You can answer whichever ones you want. Um, with the new Trump administration, which is just uh, pushing three quarters of a year now, and uh, many uh, promises uh, have yet to be fulfilled, other than rhetorically, um, penalizing, or talk about penalizing American companies from relocating abroad, uh, that affecting you as a concern? Um, that would mean fewer American companies entering your market, despite the free trade agreement, despite your uh, business-friendly legislation. Um, and what about the diminishment of subsidies and entitlements? Um, can you mention some about the roads and the freights and the trucks and the and the gas and et cetera. Uh, anything further on that? And then is there anything to be said about the um, development of robotics? Uh, how will these impact ex uh, your labor force or expatriate labors there? Uh, and, uh, Oman, uh, Mrs. Uh, El Wahabi, yes. would you like to take that one? First, and then uh, Miss Algebra, and then Ken. 
Go ahead. Yes. Floor is yours. Uh, Oman actually is a middle-income country with an economy uh, based primarily on limited over all hydrocarbon resources. Um, and we are heavily depending on, on, um, on oil and gas um, resources. Oman has witnessed actually a decline in nominal GDP uh, by an estimated 5% in 2016, but the financial system remains stable and has a low non-performing uh, loan ratio. Liquidity conditions tightened in 2016, but initial indications suggest that liquidity has begun increased in 2017. Um, the, bank, uh, the, the, the banking sector in Oman, actu actually Oman, uh, focusing on, on um, different approach to diversify, uh, also working to, to strengthen the, the banking sector and financial system, uh, but also uh, there is actually a, a national program for enhancing economic diversification, which is called TEMFIB, which is working mechanism uh, unveiled by the government to achieve the goal of the ninth five-year plan that I mentioned, and is working on presenting the necessary amendments to the laws and regulation um, identifying priorities, providing tools to secure the necessary project financing, outlining responsibilities and timelines, aiming also to increase the GDP and private sector investment by 80% and provide job opportunities in three target sectors, tourism, logistic and manufacturing, on these uh, three top priorities. More than 100 development projects in different sectors have been identified, which have been showcased in open handbook that available online. Uh, to diversify its economy, Oman is revamping its free zones and port infrastructure in three main areas, Dokom, Suhar, and Salala, to adopt them for tourism. But more important, uh, importantly, to increase industrial production and export, and to explore that country's strategic location to create a hub for international shipping. If I uh, may interrupt, uh, however uh, impolitely <laughs> or gently, um, and in terms of uh, trying to uh, stick to a concise, succinct time schedule, um, may you hold your next point and, and allow Ms. Algebra uh, to comment on the same question so we can have everyone's uh, response to that, and Mr. Closes as well. Uh, no. um, I'm going to address the, uh, the females issue. Um, uh, with, uh, in the um, uh, 2030 vision, we're, one of the things that we would like to do, see is an increase in the woman uh, entering the labor force. And what we're doing here in Washington, or in the United States, we've seen the number of women um, being educated here has increased through the years. Um, if we go back in history, in, 2000, uh, in the 1980s, only five, almost 5% of the students were women. Now we have nearly 25%. And we're hoping that this, the, the women that are 
um, coming here to be educated and hopefully getting an internship um, opportunity here, we'll be able to go back home and help realize the goals of our 2030 vision. And one of them being, I believe, in 2020 to have 30% of our wor workforce being females. And um, I, uh, I invite you or I request from you, I don't want to demand from you, but you can help us in reaching that goal by taking on our interns and training them here and preparing them, helping uh, them get prepared for the labor market. Okay, and if we have time later, uh, as we leave the dais, uh, lots of people are curious about the women aspect, of course, and uh, what impact, if any, do you see on them in the banking sector, any other sector, and how? responsive have American banks been to taking Saudi Arabian interns before going back? Mr. Close. Yeah, I can say a few things about the um, women in the labor force, and, and not an expert in this by any stretch of the imagination, but you're seeing today when you go into offices of Saudi companies, some very small young entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneur level companies and, uh, and very large companies, really there's no, almost no segregation of men and women um, in these offices anymore. It's all very much more open. And uh, so I'm sure the regulations are all still on the books, but really no one's uh, really paying much attention to that anymore. And uh, this is causing a completely new environment in the workplace that's really pretty interesting and, uh, and very dynamic. So that's very helpful. And then I'll just go back to one point about investment in the region. I think that the trouble with asking outside investors to come is that you need to aggregate demand. There's not enough scale. So if you can if you can find a way in a particular industry or to go across industries where you can aggregate enough demand to make a sustainable business model, uh, then you'll get that investment. But uh, it's it's with government tendering procedures, it's a little bit too difficult. It all gets chopped into little pieces. So if you can, this is where the challenge will come in the in the PPP models of uh, particularly when it comes to manufacturing, um, but also in services. It's going to be very difficult to. Uh, attract real capital if unless you can scale something. So I think the government's looking at that. How to how, exactly how to do it in which sector? Each sector is going to be a difficult. Uh, I mean, a, a different solution in each one. Mike. And uh, with that, we're out of time. Thank you, Dr. Anthony, for having us up here. Uh, we look forward to participating again down in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Right. And also, anyone that provided questions that weren't answered, I will distribute them among the the panelists and you can approach them directly, okay? Yes, um, the women one, uh, Oman has had um, a woman ambassador to Washington for quite some time, as, as El Wahabi knows that well. And in the Council of Ministers, that cabinet as well, women have played a, an extraordinary role and uh, additional women ambassadors in, uh, in Oman. And with Saudi Arabia's women in the marketplace yesterday, uh, two examples were given of successful uh, women and entrepreneurial achievements in Saudi Arabia. Um, one last point, and that is geography, which Oman mentioned. Uh, two of the highest uh, economic financial investment people in Dubai, where, Dubai, if you want to call it that, to where I used to live, have said, if and when Oman gets its act further together, being east of the Hormuz Strait, we in Dubai anticipate losing somewhere between 10 and 20 percent 
of uh, economic uh, achievements when that happens by Oman. Uh, thank you, uh, all panelists, and will the next uh, session speakers come forward? Thank you very much.